welcome to Galaxy Forum. I'm your host, Melissa Kaplan, and we're here to explore issues and ideas that matter to the LCC Galaxy in our classrooms and on campus, and seeing how the work of our stars connects with the community and how the community connects with us. Today, we're going to be talking about the state of arts education in Michigan, and I'm so excited to welcome my guests, Barb Whitney and Chad Swan Badrow. Thank you for being here. Thank you for having us. It's exciting. This is Barb's second Galaxy Forum. You were on an early episode with uh, LCC assistant professor in art, Susan Hardy, both talking about your work as professional artists. And Chad and I go way back in terms of radio and with both mm. of these guests, so many different ways. But Chad and I developed and co-hosted a show here on WLNC. Yes. Uh, so much more Michigan mm. arts and culture. Mm -hmm. An hour long talk show. Yeah. No Can't trouble filling it. Yeah. So <laughs> and and Chad's artistic director of Peppermint Creek Theater Company. And we've collaborated on Renegade. So there's there's a, a lot of collaboration. Um, and I, I love that we bring that to this conversation. But you two each represent statewide arts organizations. And so it's with those perspectives that we're going to focus our conversation today on arts education in Michigan. Barb is the engagement and fund development strategist for Maya, the Michigan Arts Education Instruction and Assessment Project. And Chad is the arts education program manager with the Michigan Arts and Culture Council. So Let's start with a quick overview of your roles and the roles of your organizations. I know that's actually kind of big, but uh, um, I think that'd give our listeners a good sense of where you work and, and what those organizations serve. Great. Uh, I'll start. I, I, as you said, I work for the Michigan Arts and Culture Council, and I've been with the council now for 10 years. And in a nutshell... We are the State Arts Council. Every state has a State Arts Council. MACC is uh, Michigan's, and we receive funding from two pots, uh, one a line item from in the budget, as well as a small portion from the National Endowment for the Arts. And with that pot of money, we basically grant out funds to organizations across the whole state that are doing arts, arts and culture programming. And I specifically oversee programs um, for a variety of individuals, but particularly K through 12 schools as well. So for schools that are doing some type of arts and culture project, we also have two other grant programs for them uh, for arts related field trips and um, for schools that want to purchase arts related equipment for the classroom. You know, when I came on at the council, there was no program devoted to schools and funding schools. So I feel so fortunate to have built that program since I've arrived and over the last 10 years really learned a lot about where schools are at as far as their support for arts programming in the schools and what teachers need, which I think is an ongoing quest to support schools. So that's what I do. It's wonderful, wonderful that um, you were able to build that program and that need was recognized mm -hmm. uh, by the the Arts Council and the resources devoted to that. Yeah, we're really fortunate to um, have both when I started um, and executive director John Bracey, as well as our, our current director, Allison Watson, who really believe th that believe not only in in the arts broadly, but also that that arts education is like where we start people to then become adults who then are going to produce arts programming in, at various organizations and, and believe that they could have a career in the arts or just how the arts can transform a community. So and that they that K through 12 education and arts education is where that begins. Wonderful. Barb, tell us about Maya and your work there. I know you've worked there before this current position, which is, is really exciting. So you have a long history with them. Yes. Maya is a wonderful project. They're part of the Michigan Assessment Consortium. 
And we also just celebrated a 10-year anniversary mm-hmm. for Maya, Maya at 10. And the work is around assessment and instruction. It was founded with support from the Department of Education and also annual support from the Michigan Arts and Culture Council, which helps make the work possible. Some of what Chad and I do when we work with one another is collaborate with other statewide agencies. So part of my work with Maya has been supporting our partners in the efforts like Clara Martinez from the Michigan Dance Council or Shannon Hibbert from the Michigan Music Education Association or some of our other colleagues who are doing really excellent work in visual arts, theater, dance. It's just an incredible opportunity to bring everyone together. Mm-hmm. And I really see, I'm jumping in, I shouldn't, but Jump. I really see um, Barb and, and the staff uh, and at Maya as the experts in, uh, they're the ones that are really, I mean, we're we're a granting agency at the end of the day. So we're there to support programs that, are, that teachers and schools want to create. But Maya is really the, our statewide agency that is, that is actually working with teachers, are working to improve their practice, to ask teachers continually what they need to be successful, and to challenge schools to create arts curriculum if it doesn't exist or to improve what does exist. So I, I feel like Maya is, you know, for me, they've been like a the experts truly that I go to as an agency that really just is there to to support programs with grant funding. Um, Maya is doing that on the groundwork every day. Thank you. And that on the ground work, can you, you know, maybe give some specific examples? I'd love to hear a little bit about how that assessment work plays out for within schools. And this is primarily K-12, correct? Yes. So both agencies are primarily K-12 because we will talk about community colleges as well in Mm -hmm. higher ed. Right. And one of the things that's different about the Michigan Assessment Consortium is that it was founded with an interest and a charge to support arts education as well as all the other subjects. So when we think about a well-rounded education for kids, the arts are an integral component of that effort. And so um, some of what we saw during the pandemic was moving all the work virtual and expanding those efforts, receiving funding to keep our staff doing the great work to support educators more directly as they were moving their work online and um, fostering the kinds of connections for educators with their students that are really powerful. That's great. Just an initial thought, and I, you know, obviously work in the arts, you know, we hear quite often how the arts are under-resourced and underfunded and falling behind in schools, Um, and yet the work that you two are describing is very, it makes me feel like, boy, there's a lot more going on than, Mm -hmm. than, maybe people are aware of and what's your take on that well i'll start by saying that you know i have seen i have gone through an, in my career an interesting transition from being a classroom teacher at the start of my career where i felt like my view of the work i did was so singular it was on my classroom mm-hmm. and maybe my school i mean there were classrooms down the hallway that i was like i don't know what you're doing down there <laughs> i am just like so focused on the work i'm doing in my own classroom and then when I transitioned out of the classroom and into a more community work, that was with a community lens at the Arts Council of Greater Lansing. That took work to sort of expand my view of, okay, what's trying to understand the landscape and the geography of what was happening just in our tri-county region here, you know, in Lansing. Right. And so then to move to the state to also do that same thing, to really have to broaden up, I feel like 
the real task of the last 10 years of, in my job has been trying to understand what you just said, which is what is going on? How can I as one person or how can we as one agency, and I feel like Maya must also grapple with this as well, how do we, how do we just know what's happening in schools across the whole state? I mean, we have such a huge state. It's beautiful, and it's but it, to be in those places is hard. So I think that it's been about, I know my work and my work with, in conjunction with Maya has been about how are we creating networks of just liaisons and fellows and ambassadors who can be also partner with us in this work because there's just no way that Barb and I can be in Traverse City and can be in you know St. Joe and can be up in Marquette. Uh, and I know you've both talked about, I mean, Ted, you've talked about all the the site visits that mm-hmm. you have done over the years yeah. in you know the the farthest reaches of the corners of Which Michigan literally upper the and best lower part, right it's yeah. the best part especially when you're in the arts it's just to to visit and see what schools are doing with grant right. funding is so amazing but that is that's when where a lot of the work is is just understanding what is being done what communities mm-hmm. exist and to then try to grapple with well what's the data so like who's offering what I mean, so I think the work that Maya is doing right now, specifically moving forward, I think the progress we've made in the last 10 years has really been, okay, understanding the the field, both like I think metaphorically and physically, and then bringing the right people together to then like create a structure for data to be collected so we can understand what what do we need to advocate for moving forward? I mean, are there are there lots of dance curriculums across the state? Is theater really widely or not widely being offered? So I think that's something that Maya is really, really focusing on that I'm really excited about. Mm -hmm. We know that through the research, children do better in school, in work, and they're more civically engaged if they have exposure to the arts. So there's this concept that we, we measure what we value. And if we don't know whether kids are getting access Mm -hmm. to the arts in schools, how do we know whether they're going to have those measures of success. Mm -hmm. So the discussion right now is around what does that data collection look like? Mm. How does networking help bring us all together and connect us in really valuable, genuine, true ways where all the stakeholders who are part of those conversations have a vested interest in kids getting access to the arts? Because we know from our 2011 study in Michigan and also from studies all across the country that kids don't get equal access to the arts in well, school. I want to put a pin in that. Like, so I, I am going to post that on a t-shirt, Barb, like the <laughs> idea that, that we measure what we, what we value. Right. And to, so can when I came into, can it please bumper stickers <laughs> and pillows? I think that, um, when I came into the job in 13, the last time we had done any even remote, small, like s- census of arts education in our state was in 2011. Mm-hmm. And we have not since then done any time and even that mm. we recognize was not every school it was like a small was 12 portion. years ago it's insane think about the way that like yeah the landscape has changed from an education mm-hmm. perspective aside from the pandemic which is a huge thing certainly um and so i i feel so like proud to be working with maya to be moving toward creating a, a mechanism in which we can perennially gather that information so it's not 12 years between times when we can sort Mm -hmm. of get a picture of what's going on because we do value the arts it's important to have that data that is i think from a community college perspective in the arts uh here at lcc to have that kind of data would be invaluable to see Mm -hmm. 
How many programs are there? Are they growing? Are they dwindling? COVID, of course, impacted enrollment, not only at LCC, but all over in, in higher ed and in arts programs that are small to begin with, um, mm-hmm. and particularly at, at community college, where I think extremely fortunate to have the arts programs that we have here. But when, you know, a lot of what is the career pathway and a lot of effort and focus uh, in colleges is in creating those pathways for students to mm-hmm. graduate and go into you know a profession or a job, have a certificate, whether that's health careers or technical careers, having that kind of data that shows there are students, there are programs, and so there are are opportunities for those students to come here and 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 it's an important programming to to continue how do you two see what your agencies do which is a k-12 focus impacting and and filtering to community colleges and higher ed i'll take it i think it's important to recognize that when we teach students english and we recognize the value of language arts that is a way of communicating And for students in schools as part of a well-rounded education, all the art forms offer different ways of students communicating with one another. And as they learn those skills and they have those attributes, then they have agency and they have voice. They have different ways of self-expression. And we know that students who are struggling, if they have other vehicles for telling their story, whether that's drawing, or singing, or dancing, or theatrical tableaus mm-hmm. <laughs> with their colleagues in class. It's a different way of interacting with the world. And so that creativity that's so valued by employers is fostered in the schools with the arts learning they're doing internally. And then externally, I think you know, going into the colleges, that's equally valuable as one of the entry-level ways of working and expressing themselves. Definitely. As you said, creativity, um, uh, we don't expect it only from artists and performers and musicians, uh, employers. I mean, creative thinkers, strategic thinkers, entrepreneurial thinkers are highly valued and sought after in order to make quick adjustments to a continually rapidly changing world in which we live, whether that's, you know, technology, artificial intelligence, uh, there's just so much that happens so quickly and you need that. You need to exercise. I mean, it's like an exercise, I think, mm-hmm. to to be involved in the arts and it exercises those creative portions of your brain. Absolutely. One thing that you mentioned, I think you both touched on a little bit, was accessibility and inclusion. And I know, Barb, your your dissertation focused on researching and, and studying uh, the importance, the, the lack of access for many populations mm-hmm. to the arts. How uh, do your organizations work to further accessibility? We were both part of the state policy pilot program through Americans for the Arts and mm-hmm. the gap analysis research I did as part of my master's thesis helped showcase the fact that kids in rural and urban settings have less access to the arts than their counterparts in suburban areas. One of the odd factors I hadn't anticipated finding out about was sometimes parents are an important factor. Parents who fundraise in suburban areas in particular help kids get access to things like instruments Mm -hmm. and really the schools should be 
uh, fostering the way of working in the in arts education. Um, and so I think uh, through Maya, through the MACC, through many other statewide agencies who are part of our partnership, it's the primary goal. We will find the data that helps make sure that the the high quality programs are happening where they should be and where they're not will make equitable measures. And what's exciting about Maya creating this platform where we can start to just get a picture uh, across the state, we have found that as we discussed that platform, every person that works in any way with arts education, the colleges, community colleges included, have said, oh man, that would, that would, that could revolutionize or that could really guide or inform our decisions about Mm -hmm. this, this, this. And it's different. It's going to be different for LCC about how knowing like what is offered statewide from an arts education piece is going to impact your work versus ours at the Arts Council, which for us, you know, ultimately we have, you know, six direct grant programs that always at the end of the day is about supporting arts access in general, you know, in, in every county throughout the state. And particularly with an arts education lens, that's the very same thing. So, I mean, we're doing that in two ways. We're just, we're either bolstering programs that already have a really robust program in, in arts education or bringing it to communities that have none. Right. Mm-hmm. And so like, okay. give me an example or a couple well, examples, oh, so, put you on the spot. <laughs> no, absolutely. So like, you know, Escanaba, is a great example where they don't have a traditional like arts program in general, but there is a folklorist uh, musician in their community who who is just really passionate about music education. And so for the last few years, they've gotten grant funding from us for him to work as an arts education residency perspective to teach kids in third and fourth grade throughout their whole curriculum, the every school in the Escanabic school Excellent. district for them to learn about folk music, to write their own folk song. Wow. Yeah. And, and to learn about just like dynamics and, and what have you. And, and so I imagine while it's really exciting to like, think about, man, you have this really awesome program and, and this is how we're supporting that. It's almost more exciting to think about if you take this program out of, out of the school in Escanaba and these kids had no experience, what would that look like? Or more, more, I think more appropriately think about the, the things the paths that those students who have experienced folk music now might take mm. that, you know, if they never would have been exposed to folk music before, I think, and we have like just endless examples of that. I think mm-hmm. of, of how grant funding just sort of can like light these small fires in kids and in schools. I'd love to make an example of the field trip grants too. Yeah. That the Michigan arts and culture council provides. I think as a child, I got to go to the Chicago Institute of arts for humanities course mm. and it completely transformed my way of thinking because I I had thought academically and I dismissed the arts. And it, once I was in a humanities course and I was able to see the evidence of what that looks like, I, I made new friends in a way. You mm-hmm. know, like when I go back to the Chicago Institute of Arts, I, mm-hmm. I feel like I'm visiting old friends. And I think for children who have an opportunity to visit like Wharton Center locally or Mm -hmm. Boniface Art Center up in Escanaba Mm -hmm. or other places in their community or beyond, it it just changes their entire outlook, especially if they don't have access to the arts in their family setting. Mm Most recently, we went on a we had a school that got a field trip grant there. So basically schools can apply and it basically just pays for the busing for them to take an arts related field trip. And so I went with a group that was touring Detroit. Um, Their art students, um, they had done a residency with Hubert Massey, who's a well-known muralist. Right. And um, and so the field trip was simply them touring around Detroit with him with a microphone on the bus (laughs) and then just stopping at all of the places where he has murals and explaining his process 
And one kid out loud was like, I didn't know this was by you. Or like, I know this picture. And the way that that starts to connect also kids, not only with the art, but with their community. Mm. And then they start to see things differently. And then what I really love um, as a sort of, I think, arts advocate in my own community is think about then they start to see empty spaces as opportunities for arts as well. So like, why isn't a mural here? This would be a really great place for a mural. (laughs) And so the field trip grants, I think, are great to sort of connect schools then with the community, both right in their community or if they're more far flung. That's really fabulous. When I taught in Detroit, we did a mural with Hubert Massey, Mm -hmm. my students, at Herlong Cathedral School. And he's so talented. So, yes. Oh, that's exciting. And I love I love that young person's reaction. Mm-hmm. But what you said about seeing empty spaces as potential. Mm-hmm. And I think that to me, science really involves a lot of creativity. You know, a lot of fields involve a lot of creativity. But in terms of the arts, when, when you're young, to be able to look around uh, an environment that may look desolate mm-hmm. to others, whether that's in the center city or a rural landscape and see the potential for uh, community Mm -hmm. and through the arts. Mm -hmm. I think that's huge. And I know I keep coming back in my mind to our programs here at LCC and where students might, uh, who who complete their work here, maybe transfer or where might they go to do that kind of work that's that's community building Mm -hmm. that uses their 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 skills. Chad, you mentioned something um, in your, your introduction about the council, about building the program in arts education and leading to jobs and different kinds of careers in the arts. Can you describe just a, a little bit of careers, like you're going to be a musician, you're going to be an actor, you're going to be a dancer, you're going to be a writer, but there's a mm-hmm. lot of other careers in the arts, aren't there? Oh, absolutely. You know, and I think, I think having been, having started as an educator, um, I, I'm guilty of that. You know, I, I was teaching theater and English language arts. And I think that, you know, my my even bubble was so small, but I think that that partially, I think that's why field trip grants or arts education grants where they're bringing artists into the schools can start to like light those, um, set off those light bulbs in kids' heads to understand, oh, wow, that's a career or wow, I could do something like that. And I think, so I, I don't even want to necessarily go down a really specific path about Sure. Yeah, there's jobs like, you know, like theater <laughs> writing or working backstage, you know, um, because those are all very specific. But I think that it's more about how are we giving students access um, and and exposing them to art, whether, OK, you know what, like hip hop or um, theater lighting or whatever, you know, it may not be your thing, but it it might start to it might get you asking other questions about hmm what is my thing I'm really into shoes maybe I want to design ballet shoes I don't know you know I think that that's sort of what's exciting about working in the arts is that there we don't know where kids will go with that Mm -hmm. but they're not going to go we you know they're going to go more places if they are exposed to the idea or the opportunities for the arts and so I I don't know if that really answers your question oh it's a great answer yes yeah. Well, and since the beginning of performances, someone's been producing that work, right? So um, right now I'm reading Rick Rubin's The Creative Act. Mm-hmm. We'll be presenting for our Maya educators some of the tenets of his, his work. Rick Rubin is a, a music producer who's worked from uh, many different artists, including 
everyone from LL Cool J to Adele. <laughs> and, wow. Um, he has this incredible book. And part of what he talks about in the book is creating a space where you're able to sort of be safe and also say the things you can't say otherwise. Mm-hmm. So it's about, you know, the discipline of a creative act where you're establishing a practice and making, but also how are you giving yourself the leeway to sort of feel the flow and uh, just make based on whatever's coming in for you at that moment. Mm, That's wonderful. You know, we have just a couple more minutes um, and I want to give you each a chance to, to, to share, you know, something that's burning on your mind that you haven't had a chance to share yet or or some big vision for the future <laughs> though i think both your organizations have those as you do you as individuals i'll let barb close it out but so i'll just say i think something that we've and in, in working with um a more uh, national organization about changing people's perspectives about how they just see art and art in their lives um, what's been really sort of revolutionary to me is for them to have pointed out that we often in other areas of our life, so golf say, like if, if a person like likes to golf, that they just do it sort of, but as a hobby, if someone asked them, oh, are you a golfer? They would have no problem saying, yeah, I'm a golfer. Mm-hmm. But, but no one would, if they, it's so common that if people like paint as a hobby, if someone asks, are you an artist? They would never say, oh yeah, I'm an artist. Say yes. Yes, yes, you are an artist. <laughs> I mean, yes, you cook. Yes, you can, you know, yes, you paint. Yes, you dance in your, in, you know, in your bathroom. And I think that I'm eager in the work that we do in the arts realm to help people shift that impulse in their heads to embrace the artist within themselves. Beautiful. Yeah. You heard my take on art as a universal language. I think what I'll add that was a surprise to me recently was that we're working with the Arts Education Partnership as one of our national partners. And Michigan, we talked about some of the ways Michigan's lagging, but Michigan's also leading. The work that the Michigan Assessment Consortium does is being recognized as some of the best in the country. Mm-hmm. And that the the assessments we have for uh, the visual arts, music, theater, and dance are being uh, used as exemplars that, at, at the it, national level. Mm-hmm. That's absolutely marvelous. Um, I am thrilled with the work that you're both doing, and I'm so pleased that you were able to to share and talk about that today. Um, it sounds like the state of the arts education in Michigan uh, is very positive, um, especially with the work uh, of the Michigan Arts and Culture Council, Chad, that you mm-hmm. work with, and Maya, which uh, is the Michigan Arts Education Instruction and Assessment Project, where you are, Barb. Barb Whitney and Chad swan Badro, thank you so much for being our guests. And listeners, thank you for listening today. To connect with me and our guests, visit lccconnect.org, where you'll find this and other episodes of Galaxy Forum and all the LCC Connect programming. I'm Melissa Kaplan and this is Galaxy Forum on LCC Connect. Keep connected with LCC Connect at lccconnect.org. LCC. Connect. Voices. Vibes. Vision. Engaged learning and academic success is a priority at Lansing Community College. To help students navigate their educational career, LCC has created a proactive approach to learning and providing students with several academic support services. To find out what's available, 
visit lcc.edu services. Thursday, August 24th, Lansing Community College will be featuring its annual Party with a Prez event for LCC students. Presented by Case Credit Union, the event will feature a chance to win prizes, free food, music, and lots of fun. Event details can be found at lcc.edu slash partywithprez. LCC Connect. Voices. Vibes. Vision. This is Amy Wagonar from the Historical Society of Michigan with a Michigan History Moment. Scholars and historians consider Jane Johnston Schoolcraft the first known Native American writer. Jane's mother was a member of the Ojibwe tribe and the daughter of a powerful chief. Her father, John Johnston, was originally from Ireland. He gained a dominant position in the fur trade of the southern Lake Superior region and was well respected by the people of the area. Jane was born in 1800 in Sault Ste. Marie. Jane's mother taught her the Ojibwe language and legends. Her father taught her to read and write English with books from his large library. Jane traveled with her father to his native Ireland when she was nine years old. She stayed with relatives while her father conducted business, but was often homesick. Jane started writing when she was very young. She wrote down the stories her mother had shared with her. She also wrote poems that were based on the world around her. When Jane started to write her own stories, she based them on her Ojibwe heritage. Jane married Henry Schoolcraft, the Michigan Territory Indian agent, in 1823. Henry Schoolcraft had stayed with the family when he first arrived in the territory. Both of them shared a love of reading and writing. They jointly published a magazine called The Literary Voyager, which included James' stories and poems. That was the first time people outside of Jane's family read her writing. Jane's work eventually served as a source for Henry Wadsworth Longfellow's epic poem, The Song of Hiawatha. In 1827, Jane and Henry's son died of a breathing sickness. Jane was devastated by the loss and became ill. She worked through her sadness by writing poetry. Later that year, Jane and Henry had a little girl and added a son in 1829. Jane taught the Ojibwe language and legends to her children. Henry lost his job in 1841 and moved his family to New York City. Later, he decided to go to Europe to find work. Jane stayed behind, choosing to live with her sister in Canada. On May 22, 1842, Jane Johnston Schoolcraft died from an unknown cause. She was buried far away from the land and people she loved. But her stories and poetry keep the memory of those places alive. This Michigan History Moment was brought to you by michiganhistorymagazine.org. Featuring the staff, faculty, students, and others that helped to make Lansing's premier college what it is today. You're listening to LCC Connect. To find out more about our featured programs or to listen on demand, visit us at lccconnect.org. LCC Connect. Voices, vibes, vision. 
The Cesar Chavez Learning Center's Access Program at Lansing Community College creates a community on campus for underrepresented students, providing them with a support network and multiple layers of academic, social, and professional experiences. Access also incorporates workshops and resources that assist in educational and career advancement. To find out more about Access, visit lcc.edu and search Access Program. LCC Connect Voices Vibes Vision Hey, hey, hey This is Lisa A And you're listening to Who's That Star On LCC Connect At Lansing Community College Who's That Star Is a behind the scenes show Where I sit down And talk with the employees At the college This is an inside look At LCC Where you will have a chance To learn about their passions Projects What inspires them Both at work And in their personal lives I'm your host, Lisa Alexander. I'm so excited to get a chance to talk to all the people who make LCC great. This show is for you to get to know the people that work at Lansing Community College a little bit more and see what makes them tick. Are you ready? Okay, let's go see who's today's star. Today on Who's That Star, we are interviewing someone new to me. I had the opportunity to ask this guest to be on the podcast because he was promoting an event about his area. This star began his career at LCC in 2012, starting as a writing assistant in the Writing Center. He then moved to the Learning Commons a short time later as a part-time admin, and now is a full-time staff as a customer relations specialist in the Learning Commons. He is also a local poet and has had several of his works published in the City Pulse and other online publications. All right, everybody, are you ready to learn who's today's star? Today's star is Cruz Villarreal. Thank you for coming on Who's That Star. <laughs> thank you. Thank you for the, the the cheers and the applause. Oh, wow. Yeah, we're glad to have you here. I guess. So let's get started. Tell us a little bit about who you are right now and what's important to you in your life. Right now, uh, CB, I'm 71 years old, okay? Mm-hmm. Uh, I've had several careers, and so uh, what's important to, to me in my life, in this stage of life, uh, is family relationships, right? Uh, making sure that um, more people are fond of me, you know, when they'll be saying nice things when I pass. There okay, you go. so I want to hear them now. <laughs> be, be reassured what they'll be later. Yeah. Right? So I, I need that. that Get a preview. I need that self assurance, right? So I hear you. Uh, I, I, those things are very important relationships, being nice to people, you know, building that, that friendship thing. All right. Well, can you tell me about your work at LCC and what are your roles here? Well, first, I want to give a shout out to all my union brothers and sisters. Okay. I'm a I'm pro-union, always have been. All right. Yeah, and so I think it's a, it's a wonderful thing. So I want to shout out to all my union brothers and sisters. Uh, what I do in the Learning Commons is a um, uh, customer relations specialist. And what we do is uh, we strive to make the experience for students and tutors uh, a, a pleasant ride, right? For uh, the students, we try to f- make sure that they have everything they need as far as access to tutors, supplies, 
things like that. And every once in a while, if, if we have some sandwiches, we'll even feed the occasional hungry student. Right. And so we're out taking care of them. We care about them. Uh, we want their experience uh, here at LCC to be good. We reassure them that LCC wants them to succeed. Everyone in our space wants them to succeed. Mm -hmm. So all the tutors and employees that are in our area, I'm sure like much of the campus, reflects that attitude uh, of wanting uh, students to succeed. So is the Learning Commons tutoring or is tutoring an umbrella under the Learning Commons? No, tutoring. Uh, lear uh, learning Commons uh, is tutoring. Okay. okay. So that's what we do. Uh, part of tutoring would be uh, working uh, with uh, different classes, different instructors, and doing exam prep parties, uh, which the chem area does a very good job of, the math area, the biology area. So it's a really impressive uh, uh, coordination that you see going on. We have uh, excellent admin who really monitor that and try to go out and cultivate relationships between our tutors and our lead tutors and, and instructors. Again, all for the goal of, of making a learning uh, uh, productive to any student that enters our space. All right, great. How did you get started at LCC? Well, at LCC, I decided to, at 58, I decided I wanted to go to college. Mm. As a young man, I couldn't afford it, and my parents never went to school, so I didn't have that foundation right where they went to school so they knew how to teach me to go to school. Mm -hmm. And in those days, you could actually go earn a living <laughs> in some sort of trade or labor right. without, without college. So uh, nowadays you can't. Yeah. It's a can't. But uh, as I began to slow down in my insurance business, uh, semi-retiring, I still sell insurance, but uh, the staff generally takes care of that, frees me up to do what I like to do. Mm -hmm. So I went back to school, and of course, why not LCC? I was sending my kids to LCC, so why not me go? Right. So uh, I, I took some writing courses, and it turned out I was pretty good at it. So the instructor uh, gave my name to the writing center, I applied for a, a, a student employee job. Okay. Yeah. You know, I, I was used to making these big dollars, right? And mm -hmm. I'm being offered $10 an hour, right? <laughs> and uh, 10 hours a week. But it, it was fun. The experience was great. I grew a lot. And uh, because uh, I, I kind of lack diversity in my field and in working out in, in the private sector. Mm -hmm. uh, but when you come to college, it's diverse. Right. Exactly. <laughs> and so I was thrilled with all these different flavors I was getting all around me yeah. and uh, watching faces light up when I'd share a little jewel with them and, and it improved their work. And uh, it, it was just uh, uh, wonderful. And then it came time to um, uh, merge the Writing Center with the Learning Commons. Somebody came up with that uh, wonderful idea. Mm -hmm. So we merged the Writing Center with the Learning Commons for, for a period of time. And at that point, uh, we, the exposure was greater. So if you could tutor other things, you were utilized. In the right. writing center, it was just writing. But there, I, I could tutor Spanish. I could tutor sociology. Mm. I could tutor mythology. I could tutor religion. You know, at that time, we could even do a little bit of writing. It was so pleasurable watching students um, come up to you and smile and ask for your help. Uh, I remember once I went to uh, went to the gym and I had a student recognize me. I hadn't didn't recognize him, but he recognized me. He mm. goes up and and thanks me. He says, "You know, Mr. Villarreal, the lot of the tools you gave me, I use and were very helpful 
in my career as a student. That's the kind of stuff that geeks you, right? Right, exactly. <laughs> so who cares $10 an hour, 10 hours a week, right? It was, it was the gratification. And that hooks you, right? I get paid a lot more now. Yeah, but, but, but no, I get it. But it was, uh, it's what keeps you going, right? Just that warm feeling of appreciation for who you are. Well, I think you answered this question, but I'm going to ask it anyway, because maybe there's some more you want to add on to it. But it was like, what do you like the most about what you do here at LCC? Oh, my goodness. And it's definitely, you can show that you love working with the students, for sure. I love interacting with them. I love kidding around with them, uh, teaching them with humor, Mm -hmm. um, listening to them. Sometimes they got some stories, Right. right? And they don't really want to solve the problem, or I may not be able to solve the problem, but I'll definitely listen and sympathize with you and and maybe give you some direction on who you might want to go talk to next. And so it is um, really gratifying to see people grow, and it's gratifying to get those little thank you cards at the end of the semester, or just a high when they see you on the street. It makes you feel good, right? You touch their lives. Exactly. And that's like... This question here, kind of, you are a good person to interview because you kind of go with the flow and you give us your passion. But this question here says, tell me about why you work at LCC. What is it that keeps you coming to work and so passionate about it? Yeah, you know, I don't get tired of coming to this place. I have wonderful people to work around. Mm -hmm. You know, people um, are not dismissive of me. Right. I'm like I said, I'm 71 and I do get to experience ageism out there. Mm-hmm. Right. And people dismiss you or condescend on you, sweetie and all yeah. that. Right. You, you know, the, I don't buy it. You know, it's OK. Uh, but, you know, they they look at you as, as as a child rather than as an intelligent. Like you're Man, done. You you're done. You yeah. You're done, right. I love that. Yeah. Right. They treat you like you're done. Right. Mm-hmm. I come here. I'm not done. No. Nope. <laughs> they don't even care how old I am. All they care is, is anything I have to share relevant? And it it still seems to be relevant, yeah. right? The sharing of uh, all my past experiences and knowledge. You do accumulate a lot of stuff over the years, and you'd be surprised how much of that stuff is new to, to somebody to else. Somebody else. Yeah. It's cool. <laughs> it is. No, I, I definitely understand that I'm not 71 yet, but I understand the feeling of sometimes this is a young society, it seems like, and it seems like you can be dismissed, but it's also a good place here where someone values your opinion and what you have to say, and then they can get something from it. And you having 71 years of life and have worked in different careers, you have something to offer them. And so that's a good thing. Oh yeah. You, you are not, you are not dismissed right in this, in this, uh, in this environment, the kind of people they hire, how they hire, and uh, they always seem to filter out the right kind of person and it fits the job. They right. Just do yeah. a really good job because I've just had a wonderful experience with all the people I worked with. I love seeing them the next day. Yeah. But, you know, Cruz, I think um, just from talking to you and you have your past experiences, you understand what a gift this is to be able to work in this kind of environment. And I, I feel like you've sold insurance, you've done things where you've made money, but you can see your impact now. And you enjoy that. And you can see it on your face. I wish I could see his face because he really enjoys what he does and the, the opportunity to work with the students and, and the people that he works with. So. I think that's great. I'm glad that we have people like you here. 
Well, you, there's a lot of them. Yes. So what is life like for you outside of working at Lance Community College? Well, throughout my life, I've been a lot of places. I've traveled a lot of places, done a lot of things. Mm-hmm. So the wife and I are really more homebodies now. Okay. I, I do enjoy sitting on my couch, <laughs> binging TV, right? Just chilling, right? Right. At certain t- a certain time of the night when my wife goes to bed, I get to just binge. And watch right? what you and want. Watch what I want to watch as long as I got the earphones in and, and, the, and the, the Bluetooth connected to the TV. So she don't have to hear it. So until <laughs> uh, the battery runs out on my headphones. But it's, it's, it's cool. And so we chill a lot. Uh, uh, so I get to, I get to enjoy my wife's cooking. Uh, I'm, I'm rather pampered and spoiled. Okay. At least you acknowledge my wife is old school. I was old school. So, you know, she, my wife even dresses me. Okay. She has, (laughs) yeah, she lays my clothes out. She doesn't want me to embarrass her. Okay. She said, no, (laughs) you ain't going out looking like that. No, 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 no. So this is what I wear. Right. right? This is what I eat. And, uh, and this is what I do. And then uh, just don't touch the kitchen. Uh, do all the puttering you want outside. Take out the trash, mow the lawn, paint the house, anything, right? But just stay, just out, stay out of her out space. Of the I, I do not give input in cooking. <laughs> okay. What are your hobbies and how did you get into them? Uh, golf. I, I do golf. That came with the profession when I became an insurance man. You got to play golf. I play golf. Okay. Right. So uh, I still suck at it. Uh, later on, I joined a, a league, the Cristo Rey League, uh-huh. uh, and uh, uh, yeah, a bunch of Latinos. We do let others in, but it's pr- primarily Latinos. Okay. So we all have something in common. We all have war stories from our migrant days and yeah. things like that. So we're all, you know, we're all about the same age, so we hit just as bad. <laughs> and uh, so I get my practice uh, golfing with the league. Uh, and when I'm not golfing, I'm gardening. Okay. Yeah, I got a. I partner with another gentleman, and we have a nice big garden, and uh, we're constantly searching for things to make gardening easier. Mm. Like you know, we we use irrigation. Okay. <laughs> we don't like to water plants. Right. So you know, we uh, we research the right system, laid it in there because it's a twenty-five by one hundred foot garden. Okay. That's a big garden. It is. Right? So you know, we we irrigate, and we don't like to weed. So we. We lay uh, landscape fabric throughout the garden, burn little holes in, put our plants in. And oh, y'all pros, huh? Oh, you, you, you know, you get a certain point in your life with bending over from pulling, it just don't cut it. You say, uh, so, make it no, work no, smarter. Oh, no, huh? yeah, it works smarter. We even put a timer on the water. So we don't even got to turn the water on. We just, we just come out and once a week take a look at things, and pretty soon the work will start. Tying our tomatoes, making them grow nice and tall. And okay. Keeping an eye on things. What do you do with all that food? We eat it. We uh, we give it away to friends, okay. family, and uh, we put it out for the on the road for people. People have excess. <laughs> people yeah. have the excess. But I'm big on tomatoes and jalapenos. Okay. All right. So I, I'm a big guy for poppers. Oh. So, you know, I grow a lot of jalapenos, and what I don't turn into, into salsa you know, I turn into jalapeno poppers <laughs> and I freeze them. And then uh, we, uh, I, I've got a, a group of buddies that we play. We play cribbage on Friday afternoons uh-huh. for, you know, from one to four. That's our time slot. Okay. And, you know, and so uh, we pretty much eat poppers every Friday, right? Because, you know, we got so many of them. You supply the poppers. I, huh? I supply the poppers. <laughs> His wife is kind enough to stuff them. 
and wrap them in bacon. Oh wow! Yeah, especially the bacon. Okay, it's you need those fats. Okay, I do think so. I think I'm gonna have to try to see if I can catch you at like two, maybe like eleven thirty on Friday, so I can get some poppers before they're done. <laughs> Because we'll I like how we'll play five handed cribbage. We could probably swing that. Okay. okay. I, yeah, I'm not good at cribbage. I have no clue about that. Um. Well, you also write poetry, right? Yeah, I write poetry. Uh, I've always written uh, poetry, even as a child. I also have a creative writing degree from LCC. Okay. So uh, during those classes, I got to explore and refine my talent. Okay. And. Um, yeah, I do pretty good. I mean, really. I guess so. You in the you was in the writing center, and then a teacher recommended you to go in to do that, and I think that's great. Oh yeah, creative writing. Uh, yeah, poetry, short stories. I'm always geeked when someone asks me for a story, or asks me for a poem, or asks me to visit a function and share a poem. Okay. And uh, yeah, I, I I love it. Is your poem like theme based, or are they like just based off of what you're feeling at the time, or what what's your inspiration? Like, could I say, hey, um, Cruz, I need for you to, I would like for you to come and speak about. Um, homelessness. Could you make up a poem about that, or would it be a specific area? I actually um, uh, wrote a poem about homelessness for a play uh, that was featured here. Oh, okay. And um, I have a name. You could probably still find it in our LCC archives. Uh-huh. And uh, I, I opened with a poem that I wrote for the play. Oh, wow. And I closed with another poem from another poet. Uh, so yeah, I have material about homelessness. Oh, wow. It, um, you know, it, 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 it mood strikes me one day I was driving along and stuck in traffic and it was raining. I was headed to play golf, mm-hmm. right? And even in the rain. Uh, and then I saw a, an older man pushing a cart, cart homeless. Mm-hmm. And, uh, I, you know, I'm looking at myself, right? A little guilty, right? What did I do? I didn't stop. I didn't throw the man a bone, right? Give him mm-hmm. something, right? Five bucks, anything. I just kept going, right? So I wrote a poem called Shopping Cart, and uh, it uh, pretty much, it's a good poem. Uh, I, I actually have uh, a website through, it's here, hosted here at LCC. Okay. Through one of our projects, and so whenever I write a poem, I dump it in there, and it's open access, LCC open access. Oh, wow. And uh, so a lot of my work is there. Uh, Just I always have to look up my website because I always forget it. Okay, that's great, though. That's wonderful that you are sharing your work with others. What really lights you up and makes you excited in your life? What lights me up is um, my grandchildren, great-grandchildren. It's just like... You, you you get to see the fruit of your efforts, right? Mm-hmm. Um, I raised six children. I, I, I love to see the success that they are having, they're sharing, right? Mm-hmm. And I, I, I love to see them uh, raising their children in kind and loving environments. And uh, it's just wonderful. And I love when they interact with me. I got one that'll, when her mama leaves her for a little bit, because she's old enough to stay by herself, but mm-hmm. she gets lonely. So she hits up grandpa, 
right? And all she wants me to do is watch her. So watch her play Roblox. Uh, watch her put makeup on. Watch her. She just wants to make <laughs> yeah, sure you there. Yeah, I'm there. I'm watching her. I'm virtual babysitting. Hey. Right? So, uh, but it's cool that she calls. Yesterday, she uh, she sent there. She says, what do you think of this, Grandpa? So she was trying to get her mother to okay uh, something called curtain bangs, you know, uh, and uh, she showed me a picture of what they were. And I says, I don't know. Well, she says, well, this is the note I want to give uh, mother. Uh, I want to send her. So she showed it to me and uh, she became my writing student. And I was her writing assistant. Oh, wow. So I said, well, you're opening with a negative here. Let's, why don't we take those out? Let's see what it sounds like. So she back that out and now go with it. And she goes, oh yeah, that sounds better. And I says, and let's attach a picture so mama don't have to guess what you're talking about. Right. Now, I don't know what the end result will be. Oh my, okay. you left us on a, <laughs> I, don't a know what, I don't know whether she's going to get an okay or not. Okay. But it was a fine piece of writing, hey. you, know, you know, well presented request. Okay. A, a proposal. Okay. She yes. submitted a proposal to her mom. We'll see. I'm not, I don't know. Uh, the verdict is out. Uh, uh, Latino hair and white hair, a little bit different. I don't know, but hey, not my head. Hey, right? you don't have to make that decision. I don't got to make that decision. You help support I, your granddaughter. She, that's right. She wants it done. Let her and mama figure it out. Wow. You know I'm going to have to uh, stalk you to find out what happened if she got to get the cut or not because I'm, I'm, I'm invested now. What um, a life lesson that you have learned the hard way. Um, the things you say to people that are hurtful, mm. right? Mm -hmm. You wish you can take them back later on, right? You mm. really go, you see the impact, right? Right. You, you, that old saying, right? Tongue can burn down a forest, right? Mm. And, uh, so, uh, yeah, you, you kind of live with those little regrets of things you said, shouldn't have said, right? Too late to take them back. Mm -hmm. You know, the person passes and, you know, there's really no way to make amends, things of that nature. So, uh, it's lamentful. Fortunately, you know, uh, it was a long time ago, long time ago. And, uh, I hope that I'm not making those same mistakes. You kind of learn from it and still wish that you hadn't said things that are hurtful. You definitely don't want to do them moving forward. Right. So think before you speak. Yeah, huh? That's still a good lesson. <laughs> right. Okay. I, I definitely appreciate that. We got two more questions before we're done. One of the questions is, if you had only one sense, hearing, touch, sight, which would you want? I, I had to pick hearing because I do have hearing loss. Oh, okay. okay. And I, I feel its impact. At least with hearing, right, you could describe to me what the world looks like, mm, right? Mm -hmm. And uh, fortunately, I, I, I have seen at one point, right? Right. Uh, so uh, if I couldn't see anymore, at least I could hear a good description. And even even for feeling part, right? If, mm -hmm. you t if I could hear your expressions and you could describe to me what suede feels like or, you know, what, uh, what, what blue... Uh, feels like mm -hmm. you know and make the person stretch a little bit and uh but hearing to me is is like i said because i got a little hearing loss right no it, I it, get you're it. tired of going to people say a little frustrated because you go what was that huh yeah huh? yeah <laughs> i get that too because i i have to wear hearing aids that i don't wear so i definitely get it 
my last question to you is because you kind of, you know, you're 71, you're had a, you're in another career now. What was your first job? What did you do to start out? My first job was in the fourth grade. You know, came up poor like a lot of kids. I'm not, I don't have a monopoly on poverty or poor, okay? No. Nope. And not in my generation. Uh, in fact, in my neighborhood, it was diverse. And the one thing we all had in common was we were all poor. Right. right? So we didn't know what color, we didn't know color existed, okay? Yeah, just, we, we didn't have that concept. Economics. Because they, we were all brothers and sisters because we were all poor. Right. So we all got it, right? <laughs> and sometimes uh, um, lunches, school lunches were hit or miss. Mm. Sometimes mom could, could afford to pack a lunch, sometimes not. It was, you know, it, just, it was just that times. Uh, and so one day I didn't take a lunch to school in the fourth grade. And the, uh, the lunch teacher felt bad, right? So she said, I'll buy you your lunch. Mm-hmm. Okay, it's cool. I've never had a hot lunch. This is cool. Wow. I'll try it. I see people doing it, right? But mm-hmm. I've never had one. It was only a quarter. How tough can life be, right? Right. Uh, but, you know, I was born in 52. I'm in the fifth grade. You do the math. Yeah. All right. So, uh, you know, so she uh, buys the lunch for me. But she says, the condition is you have to eat everything on the plate. And, uh, okay. But then I ate everything. And then I got to this one section of the plate and it was lima beans, but I had never seen a lima bean in my life. Mm-hmm. I'd seen pinto beans, right? Mm-hmm. I was cool with that. I'd never saw a lima bean and it was swimming in this kind of maybe buttery, whatever it was. It was <laughs> ugly, right? Yeah. And I said, I ain't eating that. I ain't eating that. And so, uh, I didn't eat it. Yeah, I just let it sit there. Evidently, the lunch lady had to let me go because classes, right? This is lunch right. hour, right? you got to go back to class. And then she said, um, how would you like it if no one could make you do that? If you could eat what you wanted to and uh, not eat what you didn't, right? How would you like to have the freedom to do that? And I said, yeah, that would be great. And she said, you show up here during lunch and you clean these tables. Mm. And you get a free lunch. Oh wow! Child labor, right? <laughs> <laughs> clean the ta- clean the tables, get a quarter. Yeah. Right? Uh, but it was cool. You know, I cleaned tables till I was a senior in that school. Really? Yeah, I got a free lunch every time. But in the early years, it was so cool uh, because I could take home all the apples and ice cream cups and fruit that children who had would leave on the tray, had no use for. Wow, okay. Would go in the trash. Mm. So the lunch lady said, you can have it. So at the end of the day, I take home a bag of apples, bag of ice cream cups, bag of oranges. I was a hero right. when I got home. Yeah. And that was my first job. Wow, Cruz, that's amazing. Started in fourth grade, huh? Well feel like we learned a lot. We learned a lot about the learning commons, which is tutoring. And Cruz, I want to thank you for coming on Who's That Star today. You've been listening to Who's That Star. I'm Lisa A., and you can listen to this episode of Who's That Star and other shows from LCC Connect anytime online at lccconnect.org. Thank you for listening. Catch me next time to find out who's that star. 
This has been a presentation of LCC Connect, a weekly program that features the voices, vibes, and vision of Lansing Community College. All shows featured on LCC Connect are recorded at the WLNZ studio located on LCC's downtown campus. Each program is podcast-based and can be heard anytime at lccconnect.org. If you or someone you know would like to be a guest on one of our shows, connect with us by emailing lcc-connect at lcc.edu.